Cool. Okay, so today I'm here with Erin Simpson, who is the co-founder and the group executive chairman of Quintessentially and Kindred. So Erin is a Oxford um, educated powerhouse in the entrepreneurial world um, and with a number of outstanding companies under his belt, including the World Luxury um, Lifestyle Group Quintessentially. Aaron has recently launched Kindred, which is the world's first influencer marketplace, which includes charities in its business model. So we're very excited to hear more about this today um, and uncover his story on where it all began and the challenges he's faced with Quintessentially and his new exciting journey to start the Kindred platform. So welcome to the Another Startup Story show. Aaron, how are you today? Very well. Thank you for having me. hope you're well. I'm very well, thanks. So do you want to just introduce yourself and tell us what a typical day looks like in the life of Erin Simpson? Well, I hate talking about myself, so that's a good start. <laughs> um, I really do hate it. Uh, what happens is I get woken up by one of my two daughters, usually the second daughter because she's five, and she comes running in and tells me that her light clock has turned yellow. <laughs> and that means that she can wake up. I haven't adjusted it yet, which I should do really, uh, to a more appropriate time. But I am up and out by seven, um, feed the dog, go, the dog goes crazy. We've got a cocker spaniel. Like oh. Star, um, who is uh, magic, really. She's just a lovely dog. And then, uh, and then I probably kiss my wife goodbye. And then off, off I get into a car, <laughs> come to work. Um, and work is full on right now because we were about to launch properly. We had a little bit of a beta mm. flavor tester in October of this thing called Kindred that we're doing. And uh, we launched it properly globally on November 1. Um, and it's a tech play, which is new to me. I've invested in lots of these things, but I've never run one. Mm. Tech is painful. It's great, but it's painful. In the in real world, well, in the real world, you can say, paint that wall green. In tech, you say, paint it green. And they go, yes, three days later, you can have it. And what color green do you want? Um, and actually, do you prefer purple? Oh, and look, this is it in red. Oh, there you go. Um, and, uh, you know, you just, it's an ever-evolving machine. Um, and I don't think you ever, uh, you know, because people are creative and imaginative, I think they go... Uh, lovely great ideas all the time and with tech it's a never-ending piece of string whereas in the real world you know you can only do so many ideas a day yeah absolutely uh, what made you want to go into tech um i don't know clinical insanity probably um uh, i did write to my investors the other day saying if anybody if any if anybody hears the words i want to do a startup ever again come out of my lips shoot me um, so, um, what made me go to tech? I actually think it would have been impossible to do what Kindred does without it, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think probably Kindred as a concept has hit a crest of a wave. I'll tell you about Kindred. Um, we basically put brands and influencers together in a marketplace. And whereas most of the world are pushing to people influence wise, pushing them, paying them to post, we don't, we say to people, look, share what you love. Mm. So go on our platform, find what you love and share it with your audience because your audience sort of know that you're authentic and real 
and sharing what you actually do appreciate and actually use or recommend uh, rather than being paid to do so. And uh, this terrible word authenticity has grown in this industry and I think you'll see a lot more use of words like creators and advocates than you will influence. I think influence will die out as a concept within the next six to 12 months. So you essentially call these influencers advocates. What made you decide to kind of, you know, use that word instead? And how, I guess, how do you think Kindred will really shake up the influence marketing industry and bring back this transparency, honesty and authenticity? Well, if you're not sharing what you love and you're just sharing stuff that you're paid to share, um, tell me another industry on earth that does that um, in such a way that is so inauthentic. Um, so what we do is we're not just paying for um, footfall so or clicks or likes or eyeballs. There's a, certainly a job to be done there for brands. Brands need to be out in the market and get recognition. Um, but ultimately, we we are the full, first real full end-to-end. -end. I mean, we, we can provide that data. We can provide eyeballs and clicks, etc., or downloads or whatever it is that you require from us. Um, but ultimately, most brands survive because they actually sell something. And selling something is the most important thing to them mm -hmm. because without it, they go under. And retail is in a terrible space right now. Mm so we will probably become the champion of the sme brand that you've never heard of but would like to like to discover particularly ethical brands um but i'm not going to judge um obviously we try and get as many brands on board that are have a leaning towards giving back or uh authenticity yeah. yeah conscious consumer that we're promoting um uh, and I think we will probably become the champion of the, the small and medium-sized uh, advocates, people that don't do it as a main job, but do it because they enjoy, enjoy it and are, have a community of followers that are interested in them. And there are hundreds of millions of them compared to the tiny, tiny percentage of people that do it professionally now. Mm -hmm. And so it's very much, I guess, like you said, including nano influencers and those who really have like a strong passion towards a specific brand and want to be an advocate of that brand right yeah and brands don't know about them so they want to discover them and you can i mean i'm not you know we have agencies that have onboarded with us their whole roster of talent and you know we're a friend to the agents mm -hmm. but if they're truthful you know, they are not going to be making enough money out of nano and micro influencers unless they're dealing with tens of thousands of them, which they're not built for. We're built for that because it's an automatic process. And, you know, everybody loves labeling things like nano and micro, etc. But actually, I just like the word general public. I just like people out there that do this day in day out they share photos of their sneakers or they share photos of their food or they share an experience that they've had and hopefully our marketplace will allow them then to um make a bit of money doing so because they can go on and say hey i had this great experience if you do it you get a discount and i get a commission 
which I can share with my favorite charity. Yeah, totally. It's just like a, a referral system. Almost like think about when you first heard about Uber, you would have heard about it from a friend. You wouldn't have downloaded it because you saw, you know, um, a billboard outside or anything. Yeah. So, and, yeah. And that's an endless piece of string. So, you know, why my aim is to get anyone who is social has social media um on the platform uh, you know promoting or just recommending things to their friends and making a bit of money for potentially charity or themselves doing it mm. and so i guess an interesting what i find really interesting about the kindred platform is that you work with inf well, advocates influencers and brands and essentially kindred are the middlemen but then you also have the overarching like charities mm. um, so can you tell us a bit more about how how important it is it for modern day businesses to bring about things for good and also to give back to society? Oh well, I mean, you know, my generation probably is the worst generation in history um, uh, to you know consume and consumption went to crazy levels. Um, and I think, you know, when I sat down and thought about this model, I thought the, the apps, and I've always thought, and I've always loved the Ben and Jerry's example of that the, they give 5% of their net profits to charity, right? Mm -hmm. um, oh, sorry. Uh, that, um, you know, they are, the, and they probably don't shout about it a lot, actually. Um, but I just read about that about 10 years ago and then I thought and it's always stuck in my head And then I thought well, can we come up with a solution that allows every brand on earth? anyone to donate to charity right and Allows their consumers to do the same thing and so if you can get both sides and let's take for instance Amazon which is as Amazon smile they're making it quite complicated for you to give back. You have to reopen a new account under Amazon Smile. Yeah. And they only give 0.5% of the total uh, purchase price, right? What I'm doing is allowing you to decide if you make a commission or not. So, i.e., if you're a reseller on Amazon, you're making 30%, how much of that you give back. Rather than being prescriptive, I'm giving all the power to you as a consumer. Mm -hmm. And hopefully the word conscious consumer becomes more relevant here because every transaction has at least 1% going to charity. All right. Yeah. And, you know, for me, Amazon in the UK raised 1.6 million pounds last year of probably several billion pounds worth of mm -hmm. business. We want to raise several hundred millions of pounds yeah. of, of uh, trade on our site for charity and make and move the needle yeah wow. okay that's really exciting and so if if i'm a brand or um an advocate or anyone that you know just uses social media or wants to get involved or even a charity um where can we find out more inf information about kindred oh well it's kindred.co go there i think it's self-explanatory if any of your listeners have a feedback on it and don't understand it, then uh, they should email you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they should. Uh, and um, so the app is now live and ready to download, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's in a big refresh and it will be uh, uh, the best it's ever been next week. 
uh, well, you know, end of October. Yeah. And then we're going for a global hard launch November 1st. Uh, out to many hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people that we've acquired over the over the last year, um, and have uh, some of which have been very helpful with their feedback. Um, and then we've got some big global campaigns to really push it out with very big businesses that have large audiences that want to be involved in this project, which is great. Which is what quintessentially gave me was the sort of ability to access some of those big corporations. Um, and what kind of brands have you got on board so far? Yeah, so we're, uh, we are without doubt going to be the champion of the SME, right? Um, so we've got wonderful brands that are, you know, I've actually got a, uh, a bracelet on from a brand, Oma, uh, and I bought this for 30 bucks and it buys an, a, a, an acre of the Amazonian rainforest. Wow. Let's see. That's... <laughs> I bought two of them. How oh, cute! I love it. And uh, and they're on our site, so you know. And obviously, you can give back. They obviously offer commission on selling. Mm. But I also gave it back, and I gave it back to them. So the commission they pay me, I gave back to them. Um, through to you know everything like the fragrance shop or uh, Charlotte Tilbury's coming on. We've got Cult Beauty coming on. Mac Cosmetics is coming on. You know, it's an endless Lacoste is coming on at some point. Um, <laughs> hundreds of brands, hundreds of brands. And the bigger the brand, obviously, the more nervous they are. But once they see it, they'll adopt it because it, 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 they're going to have to, ultimately, because their brands are going to have to be not just paying lip service to things like, um, you know, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Mm -hmm. They actually have to be part of that. Uh, community in which they serve yeah, yeah definitely and it's just about getting one brand on board and then another and another and it's a win-win situation for the brand the advocate and the charity so yeah, yeah. zero risk yeah exactly. zero risk you're consuming anyway why don't you consume in a good way in a conscious yeah. way and I yeah. think yeah people are starting to become a lot more conscious of that um, well they have to be yeah and also I don't want to encourage consumption but if you are going to consume, you might as well consume through us. Exactly, exactly. Very exciting. Well, we're, yeah, we're looking forward to the big Kindred launch and finding out about more. Fireworks. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just moving, going, rewinding back to your story about where, where it all started. Um, so you graduated from Oxford, correct? Just. Just. <laughs> um, how important do you think it was for you going to Oxford, do you think it was more the network and the connections that you made or more so, you know, what you actually learned throughout your academic studies? Well, I didn't learn an awful lot. I studied geography and I was very good at colouring in. <laughs> um, but, um, I really thought that was just a myth, you know? <laughs> it's totally a myth. <laughs> totally a myth. I, I sort of worked out where the green bits were and where the blue bits were. But ultimately... <laughs> I'm not a professional networker. I know there are people out there that professionally network, but um, Oxford is, is like any university. I was conscious for some of it, drunk for most of it, and enjoyed myself endlessly. I actually created something called the Oxford and Cambridge Shakespeare Festival, which still runs today. Oh, wow. 
um, and many a story about that. But, uh, <laughs> I would basically hire students um, and um, my mates and uh, pay them you know, 50 quid a week or whatever to do Hamlet in the gardens of, a, of an Oxford uh, college. I did very well. I used to collect and go out every night on, <laughs> on the profits. But, um, one night I actually found £8,000 under a book that I forgot about. But anyway, it's oh a long story. Um, and, um, uh, and you know, it's great because obviously keep up with a lot of those guys as you get older, they get, they get into better positions in the life, but I never, I never really asked them for anything. They never asked me. Actually, they do ask me for a lot of things because I know quite a few people in restaurants and clubs and stuff. But, um, you know, uh, my business on the other side, which quintessentially was all about connections and connective mm. relationships. And I'm very proud of that business. We grew it from nothing with very relatively little investment uh, into a yeah. several hundreds of millions of pounds sort of turnover mm -hmm. business. And it's in 80 countries. So, it's, it's so for those of you who don't know what quintessentially is, um, so essentially it's, so your motto is making the inaccessible accessible for the time poor but cash rich, right? Um, and Am I right in saying that you have members um, such as like Madonna and Richard Branson? You did Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps. Um, so essentially it's, um, yeah, providing a concierge service to these celebrities. So yeah. after a degree in geography at Oxford, um, you went into film and production um, and you were working with Alton John. Um, and so yeah. tell us how you made this transition to start quintessentially. Like you said, you started from nothing. How... Tell us about this transition phase. Um, yes, yeah, so I, I yeah. Well, I I um I worked for a guy called Nick Howell first that did Scala Productions, and Scala produced things like Mona Lisa, uh, Interview with the Vampire, uh, Crying Game, massive, massively successful, mm. terrible running business, but massively successful film producer. Uh, and I think still has two or three of the largest hits in, in, in the world, uh, not only in the world, in, in the UK under his belt. Wow. Um, and then Elton John's Rocket Pictures headhunted me um, to go and work there because I was the head of development. And in fact, when I left Oxford and went straight into Scala, they basically threw a script at me and said, shall we make it? And the script was actually something called Fever Pitch, which was a Nick Morby book on the Arsenal Football Club championship win and I said yes they should and it went on to be one of the biggest hits but then it was a bit of a no-brainer because it was Nick, Nick Hornby uh, author and and uh, it was a great you know Colin Firth was attached to it um, and then I went and worked for Elton and actually the idea for quintessentially came from Elton because one Christmas he gave me gave me 150 grand in cash to go and buy some um, presents right. for his Christmas, I was invited to the to the dinner, but he said, I haven't got time, can you nip out and yeah. buy presents? So I had to go and buy presents for people like Liz Hurley and Hugh Grant and all that. Sort of thing. And what did you get them? You oh, you know, jewellery, earrings, watches, that type of thing. <laughs> and I came back and I gave him change. I gave him like 30,000 quid of change. And um, he was just like, what are you doing? He's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Um, and then from that, I thought, okay, rich people don't have time, but they have a lot of money. So I created Quintessentially. Wow. Um, and I had my business partner from Oxford, a guy called Paul Drummond, who was 
more yeah. the legal brains, more operational, and Ben was more the sort of face of it, and um, I was the backroom boy. Mm. You were the what, sorry? Backroom boy. <laughs> the backroom boy. I dealt with the post. So speaking about your, your other business partners, Paul and Ben, mm -hmm. like looking back, how did you know that you wanted to work with these guys? Um, and, and what kind of advice can you give to entrepreneurs looking for business partners? Yeah, really good questions. No idea if I wanted to work with them or not. Um, you sort of discover that. Um, I think I've done Kindred, obviously, within a team, and it's a, a really good team, a very strong team, but um, I decided not to have a full partner in Kindred um, because, uh, you know, I, I think I've got all the skill sets I need um, within the group that I've currently, you know, built with the, with the team um but um what do i think about what you should look for that should absolutely be complementary skill sets so if you're not a detailed person find a detailed person if you're not a numbers person i mean it's obvious stuff right but people often find the same person because they, they like the, re the reflection yeah yeah uh, don't find person that annoys you um, because they do stuff or so, find actually the best tip is probably find people who make you more energized to make you look good <laughs> <laughs> brighter brighter and faster and more creative maybe or whatever your skill sets is find the opposite yeah I agree someone to match your weaknesses yeah hundred percent it's quite tough because you're attracted to people similar to yourself yeah rather it's than human nature to do right yeah. So obviously find people who are not, you know. Uh, and then I would always structure deals in your first business, if you, as long as it's you, you feel as though you're equal partners, as equal partners, never structure it uh, in a way that it makes people feel like less is more. Um, less, and I would always go into a relationship where you say, look, if you leave this partnership, you give it back or most of it back because if we take it forward, you're, you know, you're obviously not participating at that level. Yeah. But when I started my business, equity participation wasn't sophisticated like it is now. Mm. Um, people very rarely owned equity in the businesses that they did. Um, and, um, you know, owners were owners. And there weren't the sort of, I mean, there were absolutely not the amount of uh, transactions there are now. Companies buying companies and selling companies. You know, it really was a different era. Mm -hmm. Remember, we hardly had mobile phones. That's how yeah. old. How they have mobile phones? The internet didn't exist. It's crazy. Yeah, but yeah. So the world is the world is accelerated. Yeah, absolutely. Can can you actually remember what what was the biggest challenge when you were first getting quintessentially off the ground? Um, getting brands on board. Yeah. <laughs> Full circle. <laughs> <in life>. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they haven't grown up very much. I think retail's in a very serious place at the moment. I think uh, um, retail is uh, having dealt with retailers again recently. Um, they all get it. They all want to do it. They just don't have the, uh, they are run by tech. And tech, it, it, I think tech has a role, um, but it needs, to, it needs to be commercial. And I think if you have a commercial tech, product department you've won because they're thinking about the, the the whole picture not just their coding 
Yeah. So you mean right. to say that the tech world and the commercial world aren't necessarily on the same page? No, no. And also they, uh, op- well, they work in opposition a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and um, that, that's a friction. It could be a positive friction or a negative friction. I think people who get it right are those that are very much about throwing pasta against the wall and seeing what sticks and what doesn't. Yeah. And that may be why Facebook's been so successful because it's driven <laughs> by a commercially tech-driven guy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it can also have the opposite effect uh, if you become too dominant and too monopolistic. But we won't go there right now. <laughs> we won't go there right now. So just sticking on the topic of quintessentially, so some of the biggest locations that you guys are present in are obviously London, New York, LA, Hong Kong and Dubai. And so uh, you've got 28 businesses under the quintessential umbrella. Um, And that kind of diversifies into like estates, travel, weddings, insurance, and to the the point where now you're even doing recruitment service. Um, And so the business has grown so globally, um, you know, and and massively. How difficult has it been keep it operating in line for the vision that you initially had for it very simple you just keep it very simple i mean you know the brand is the brand and we operate in that space you can obviously detour we did detour a few years ago into a more mass affluent space um and it didn't work so we pulled it back so you know we look after and we're very fortunate to look after some of the world's most successful people and, um, you know, their decision-making processes are, uh, you know, move the needle on what, what the rest of the world do. So it's, uh, it's a very fortunate position. But you have to operate. You have to keep in your lane, I think, mm-hmm. um, as much as possible. Um, and I've always said we sort of were like the virgin of luxury. You know what I mean? We, 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 we dealt with the high-end, super, super high net worth and high net worth audience which is around, uh, you know, a 30 or 40 million person addressable market worldwide. If you take the sort of stats around billionaires, they're around 2,000 of them, give or take, in the world. It's tiny. But if you take people with 100 million to a billion, um, then you're looking at addressable market of around three or four million. And then we were, we probably are most successful in the sort of 50 to 500 market, which is around 40 million. Wow. Not a lot of people, if you think about it, yeah. um, but we have a large percentage of them. Mm-hmm. So it's quite, quite significant power uh, to purchase, you know, products and services through. Mm-hmm. So we're like one of the large, if not the largest buyer of Four Seasons hotel rooms on earth, you know, et cetera. But it's it's yeah. grown quite, quite successfully in that niche area. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and speaking of niches, how important do you think it is to, you know, have a niche solution to provide for a specific problem? Um, I guess if I'm looking to start a business and I have an idea, mm-hmm. what what would be the thought process in actually going forward with it? And um, what kind of signs do you think you need to look for, which tells you, like, look, this is not going to be viable, you know? Oh, that's a really, really, really difficult question because, uh, you know, when I invest in businesses, what I look for first is uh, two things, people and timing. Mm. Um, Great, great ideas have been out of their time. 
Um, they always say, build, don't build golf courses, buy them. Um, and a lot of building, a lot of companies build the golf course and then, oh dear, they forgot about the membership to keep it going. So great ideas, um, often are time drawn. That's why I think Kindred is, as we've luckily timed it perfectly. I think that's through luck and flaw rather than actual luck. luck. Um, uh, but the timing is right. People don't like influencers yeah. and we need to change that. Okay. Um, and we need to measure them. So that's why Kindred, I think, timing is right. People, are, you have to trust people. And the way you trust people is to, um, by recommendation, obviously, or people saying they know that person and they trust that person all through experience. Yeah. So it's a known fact that luckily 40 to 50 year old um, entrepreneurs are something like three times more likely to succeed in a startup environment than the 20 something. Mm -hmm. And the only difference is experience. Experience, yeah. Um, so I can see clouds on the horizon way ahead of someone who potentially is doing it for the first time because I've done it before and you know I've luckily lived through it. So failure isn't is actually success in a way. Yeah, totally. I hundred percent. Um sound like a LinkedIn article now. Um, <laughs> um and then the third and final factor is the idea. So if you've got the two first things, I would assume your idea is probably on the button. Yeah. Because so you can't have a bad idea at the right time with the wrong people. Mm -hmm. You understand? Yeah, totally. So I assume if you're the right person, you've got, you know, you're bright and clever and smart enough to smell an idea will work. And I do. I meet young entrepreneurs with all the energy on earth. Um, and I've, luckily I've got that sort of brain that can see in a business idea and I'm, in a couple of minutes I can sort of hone in on their major problems where the funnel you know blockages are um, and if they can solve those in front of me in two minutes then I'll invest in them if not they'll never solve them so it's almost about investing in the people and not even necessarily the idea but the people come before well, if, I, if you came to me with an idea, you've thought it through. Mm. And I think there was a period where any idea was backed, you know, they'd find money anywhere. I also think there has to be, and I'm not down, down on people at all, and I would never ever question anyone's ability to do it, but not everyone's an entrepreneur. Yeah. Mm. And there's a culture of everyone's an entrepreneur because the word entrepreneur is banded around. I mean, I meet people who call them CEOs, you know, and there's three people in the organization. Who are you CEO of? I mean, it's nuts. <laughs> yeah, I know. Or when it's people nuts. put it in their Instagram bios, like entrepreneurs, like, really? You're... Yeah, <laughs> never trust anyone in their LinkedIn bio that run 15 different titles, a LinkedIn influencer with a CEO capabilities of the, the you know, they're going, what are you? Yeah, totally. They're actually a self-marketeer. That's what you are. <laughs> and in the age of narcissistic selfies, yeah. you have to be super careful. Yeah. Because people live a life they think they already deserve. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so, yeah. No, go um, Yeah, so, the, so one is like a domino. So one feeds onto the other. So those are the three factors I look for. And I've invested in businesses that have 
the timing right, the people right, and the idea right, and they still failed. And it's it's just really odd. Uh, some things hit, some things don't, and it's nothing to do with any of those three factors that I've outlined. It could just be Brexit happened, or you know, macro level economic changes like Black Thursday, whatever it was, Friday, whatever it was. I can't remember now; it's so long ago. It just happened, and it blew it up. And people started to pull their capital out, and it was impossible to raise, but it was a great idea, and it was working. And you know, that's that, and that's always around the corner. And there's a back someone who's lived through two of those, you know, in 2001 and 2008, you know, you're always thinking, when's the next big turn? I think it's coming quite soon as well. But I think Kindred will solves a lot of those issues for people because it gives them an access to a new revenue stream, a new income stream, especially low earners, low, low pay people. Absolutely. And so, yeah, everyday people can get involved, which is what is really exciting. What, yeah. what do you envision for Kindred for the next five years? And how do you think this will impact society and, and culture? Well, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't be as, as bold to, um, I wouldn't be as bold to say that it will have a deep cultural impact, but I do think it will make people think about how they consume. And I hope what would happen, my real aim is that as you're on the Amazon app and you're about to buy, you know, I don't know, uh, your latest gym kit, you think, hang on a second, let me just check this on Kindred because you know what? I may be able to give 10% of the value of this back to my favorite charity and it's cheaper. Yeah. And you get discounts. <laughs> yeah, you get a discount. And I'm dealing directly with the brand. And I'm not making someone extremely rich who has given very, 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 very little percentage of his net wealth back to society in which he takes. Mm, absolutely. Love it. Okay. A couple more questions before we um, start to wrap this up. Um, what does your morning routine look like? <laughs> My morning routine? Yeah. I should go to the gym, shouldn't I? <laughs> I have a trainer. He's very, very lazy. <laughs> he rings me every morning going, are you up for it? I said, nah, not today, fella. Um, but I will get back into it. Uh, my morning, as I say, 6.30, then I'm 7. I'm in the car by 7.15. I do a load of work on the way in and then here, meetings, doing all that sort of stuff. Um, looking busy, not doing anything much, really. <laughs> have you always been an early riser? I go to bed without a worry or a care in the world. You have to. You can't change it. I, well, I'll tell you what. How have you come to, yeah, how long is it taking for you to get to that state of mind? I've always been like that, to be honest with you. So I'm quite lucky. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a stress eater, like my COO, Mike. He's a stress eater. Uh, we love Mike, so, don't we? Know, when, we have, yeah, when we have a stress, he suddenly just takes everywhere. Been a lot of cake recently. Anyway, um, but yeah, no, I'm quite lucky. I put my head on the pillow and go to sleep, um, which I know a lot of people don't. But I often think, and this is the way I suppose I try and deal with it, is worry is a waste of energy. Achieves nothing. Yeah, it takes Get yourself into it. It is about it. Achieves what? When you look back and you think about all the times you've been in a tiz about stuff, does it change the direction or the course of where you're going? No. All it does is make yourself feel ill, not good, 
Mm. And it's horrible. So think about it from a different way. Every second you spend worrying about something is a second that you're not doing something positive about it. Mm. And you can't do anything when you're asleep, by the way. And you certainly can't do anything about it when you're looking at the you know the ceiling at 4 a.m. going, oh my God, what if this happens? Overthinking, yeah. Yeah. But how, how do you think people can, like what tools and resources do you think people can use and apply to stop overthinking and worrying? Yeah, so I think the best way for a lot of people is to make a list, right? I mean, there's meditation, yoga, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. Great, do it. I've never done a downward dog in my life, but you know, if you're, really? you're into it, I no. get you into a downward dog. It'll yeah, be my crazy. wife does a lot of downward dogging, but um. <laughs> <laughs> anyway um your listeners will love that kindred.co uh, um but you know for me um uh yeah make a list and go right if you are a, a list type in fact actually people who don't make lists are often list types so i often say to people you've got pen and paper so write a list of what's worrying you and next to it write a list of what you think you should do about it and you know what you may have a good night's sleep because you actually look at it on paper yeah where's the world coming to an end you know and i'd often think that's a lost skill because people are obviously on their phones or on their, yeah write it down and actually when you look at the list you go actually you know what i can solve that by doing that and I'm not worrying about it now because it's in a list. Mm. It's so weird that you say that because... You're worried down a list. It's funny thing, actually. Yeah, it's so weird that you say that because every morning... I've been... So I journal a lot and I've been doing it since about three, four years now. And it's like totally mm. changed my life. And by journaling, it's not like a dear diary, you know. It's like yeah. I have this book where I write down like my thoughts, my, my fears, my business ideas, like anything that comes to my head, I write it down and it's almost like the, just the act of emptying your thoughts and your processes onto paper is so rewarding and Absolutely. really therapeutic. So, yeah. Yeah, of course. And I think it makes you, some people can't do that, right? They don't have, they don't feel as though they've got the time to do that. But make a little bit of time, five minutes. Also, five minutes. if you've got an incredibly creative brain, so I just had this recently with uh, Paul Buck, who's our commercial director. And he said, oh, yeah, I'm not sleeping very well at the moment. Uh, I said, why? And he goes, oh, you know, my brain's buzzing. So the other tip is, if, you're, if at night, late at night, you're having lots of ideas, your actual concern is, is that you forget them. Yeah. Not that you're having I, I them. I get that. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. So just wake up, jot them down, mm. and you'll sleep soundly. Because yeah. you wake up in the morning and go, oh, yeah, that was a great idea. Mm. It's simple, but people just don't do it. So they stress about forgetting it. Yeah, totally. So instead, just 10 seconds wake up, write the key word down, and then go to bed soundly. And in the morning, you've remembered the idea because your brain yeah. relaxed. It's all about relaxing your brain from itself. Yeah, totally. Yeah? I've had ideas which I've written in books like, 
two years ago and they've only just come to fruition like yeah. two years later it's crazy yeah and that's exactly what, and you know not to you know over publicize kindred but that's exactly what has happened to me i've oh. joined dots from five years ago now i don't write anything down so i don't even take my own advice but um i've got one of those brains that can create lists but um, I have connected dots and people and ideas that have all come to fruition in Kindred. Mm. And I think a lot of people, intuition, listen to your gut, listen to your gut. How do you respond to your gut reaction to things? Listen to it because it's everything from people to places to ideas to everything. And if you feel comfortable and you know there's no reaction you're probably on the right path if you're starting to push against things and stress and worry yeah you're on the wrong path i agree i think when you start to get anxiety that's kind of like your head and heart is like going yeah, in exactly. direction yeah yeah 100 yeah. yeah it's really powerful and people don't listen to it yeah really and, really uh, good. i've started to listen to it really closely now so. yeah same i agree um okay Last two questions. What is one philosophy or motto that you live by, if any? Uh, I love people who live by mottos. Um, I don't really um, have a motto um, because I think it's, I think life's a bit more complicated than that. But um, if anything, um, Okay, let me rephrase it. If you could have a billboard with your name underneath, what would you have said on there? Oh God, this is this is about talking about myself, right? Um, um, <laughs> well, what would you want to share out to the world? <laughs> he told you he wasn't ill. No, it's <laughs> um, a classic one. Uh, what would I want to say? I, I would say. Um, Actually, do you know what? I would say the important things of the life are those that are closest to you. I love that. I love that. Good. Mm. Um, and finally, one book you would gift to others? One book that's been life-changing for you? I haven't read one book that's life-changing, but I do love... Um, I mean, this is going to kill you because I don't know anybody who's read it. <laughs> well, I, think I do know a few, but the, the complete works of William Shakespeare. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think the whole of life is in William Shakespeare. But it's a real, I mean, it's a time and a half, and it, it's a killer to get through some of them. I mean, even some of them, I was like, bloody hell, he's gone off a cliff here. But I would give it to anybody because it is highly entertaining, and in a single sentence, you can take so much. Mm so many levels of things that are uh, even in those days he was way ahead of his time but he, he got humans right and uh, everything in all stories mm. it, almost every story since um, you can point back to a Shakespearean play or sonnet yeah he's got the whole of mankind in there wow. in terms of relationships and as humans we are such complicated humans and he's got he's got it all got it all sussed out <laughs> got all and the outcomes so don't don't be lady Macbeth. don't go around you know killing people for your husband's sake <laughs> brilliant all right well thank you so much for your time erin no, and you thank you that for you really, really insightful and i'm sure our listeners and readers will be really truly inspired by your words of wisdom
come on. Um, but yeah, fun. no, we're really excited to hear more about Kindred and see how um, the journey unfolds. And yeah, I think the next two months, I have a vision of fireworks. So hopefully it's not <laughs> <laughs> more like London on New Year's Eve. Yeah, yeah that's what or we Sydney. want. Sydney. I love this competition around fireworks displays now, isn't it? It's like the whole world has a huge competition and we're all worried about global warming and we blow up bloody city once, once a year. And everybody's like, yeah! Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's crazy. All right, take care. Bye, everyone. All right.